Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel, live broadcast and podcast. Today, we are covering the five things that you can learn from an ultra DNF with the bodacious podium placing coach and physio, Tim Piggott from HP3 Coaching. How are you today, Tim? Oh, I'm good. Your, your introductions get more embarrassing every time. Um, yeah, <laughs> that all good. Is my Thank aim. You. <laughs> Apologies for those who are watching this live or, or listening live. That's, that's my fault. We're running a bit behind. Uh, trying, trying to squeeze my run in this morning and uh, yeah, didn't get quite get back in time. Yeah, well, it's a very noble cause for being late. We'll let you off for having a shower there, um, even though this is not smell-o-vision. Um, but you came second, all this training's paying off, you came second in the Hardmore Saltburn Marathon, um, 28 miles, um, the other weekend. How was that? Yeah, that's it. It's the Hardmores. You kind of get some free bonus miles that you don't have to pay for. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was um, a good day. I think we had sort of unseasonably good conditions. Um, I've it's the first hard moors race that I've done. But uh, if you're listening to this, the chances are you've heard of the hard moors events. Uh, John and Shirley put on some some brilliant events. and They've got a really good following there. Uh, and I think sort of traditionally Saltburn is either sort of, yeah, either very thick mud or just storms or snow or gale force winds or whatever. So we had uh, quite a calm day. So I think our, our conditions were unseasonably kind. Yeah, but yeah it, was, it was good. Yeah. Um, I was I, I actually went into the race just a, a little bit sick just sort of head cold so I wasn't feeling superb um but um yeah it, it turned out I got, got a second place so happy with that yeah. yeah and were you second overall then there wasn't yeah, yeah, any yeah. um mm. women around like Jasmine Paris to waiting to, <laughs> to, to uh, yeah second you. overall yeah, yeah. Um, and how not... far you were you did you see the first placed guy no, he was about oh, 10, 15 minutes ahead of me. Um, it was one of those where I, I set off and wasn't feeling brilliant. Uh, and there were sort of three other guys um, ahead of me. And I just realised I, I wasn't going to dig a hole and try and push on. I've got um, I've got Chianti coming up, the 100k, in um, about sort of five weeks' time now. So I didn't want to dig a hole and sort of settle into what turned out to be fourth place. Um, and then the guy who'd taken the lead at the early stages he unfortunately pulled his calf so he pulled out at about mile eight so I found myself comfortably in third place with a, with a big gap behind and 
was just happy to to stay there really and just run a, a nice tempo run um but then got to about 18 miles and got sight of the chap in second place and <laughs> just slowly slowly reeled him in and caught him at mile 25 and <laughs> yeah I mean he gave me a pat on the back and just said yeah it, it he, he was sort of blown and then tripped you up <laughs> um, but he, he still finished pretty strong so you know I, I worked hard for those last couple of miles once I got into into second but um, yeah it was a good day out a good, yeah. a good training day and sometimes it's harder to be chased isn't it than to chase like oh, when you were chasing him down you've got an objective you've got someone yeah. to look at and then you're like oh keep him behind me oh no yeah, yeah it's, it's horrible being chased down so um, yeah yeah yeah. Oh, well, congratulations. That's really mm. good. And so Chianti's next month. Um, uh, is it is it early on next month or is it in the middle? Or um, No, it's got to sort of towards the end of the month. Towards the end of the month. Um, so, yeah, I've got about sort of four weeks of, of hard training and then taper down into it. So it's the, yeah, it's the sort of 22nd of um, March, that sort of Friday, Saturday job. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Oh, well, we're looking forward to hearing all about that one. Um, but today we're going to be talking about the opposite, mm. which is which is five things to learn from a DNF. So yeah. um, just before we start, I've got to do a quick shout out to the sponsor of the episode, yeah, Max cool. Sports Nutrition. Um, they make the energy bars, the waffles, energy and recovery powders and real food purees in pouches. So I used their bars and waffles on the Arc of Attrition. They tasted blooming delicious. I highly recommend them. So use code WILDGINGERRUNNING, all caps, for 15% off at uk.nac.com. And let me know how you get on with them as well let me know if you like them like I do so right DNF like they mm. totally suck don't they how can we rise above that pain and learn from them coach Tim so the simple fact is if you do this game for long enough you're going to DNF at some stage um, anybody that hasn't DNF'd is it's just a question of time it's not if it's it's when it, yeah. it will happen or maybe you're not pushing um, yourself, you know, like I knew that yeah. the cutoffs on the arc would be harsh. And like, yeah. for me, that's pushing myself. So, you know, yeah. I could have always chosen ones with uh, really generous cutoffs and always completed them. Yeah. Or you're going to go for shorter events and things where it's, you know, very much within your comfort zone. But, or you know, we do these. Yeah, but we do these things to challenge ourselves and push ourselves. And if you're not, you know, pushing to those limit occasionally then you know i well it depends what you're looking for in terms of the sport of course yeah. but if you're listening to this podcast if you're watching this youtube whichever way around the chances are you know you're you're picking some more challenging events and targets and occasionally you're going to come across a situation where you can't finish and of course it's a it's a horrible thing but i think it's useful to then also flip that um to you did nothing fatal <laughs> yes that's a good because point. sometimes you know trying to push on is is not a sensible thing to do uh, and yeah. and not finishing can be very much the the very sensible and very safe thing to do no matter how much it hurts um and of course we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes yeah definitely. so the important thing is you know when it does happen is take that time to reflect on why did it happen and what can you learn from that so that hopefully that particular situation doesn't happen again. Um, you know, of course, it all depends on on why it happened. And there's lots of reasons why 
you might not finish a race. And I think, you know, we can maybe explore some of those. Yes, okay, fine, we can maybe use your uh, your recent example at, at the ARC um, as, a, as a sort of anchor point for this conversation. But I think it's useful to maybe think about other reasons why people DNF so that they can reflect on maybe their own past experiences and, and also try and then learn from other people's mistakes and why other people have DNF'd and hopefully then not make that same mistake themselves. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to think well, about that. My race film is called How Not to Run the Arc of, Arc of Attrition 50. So hopefully mm. people will be able to pick up some tips from there. Um, yeah. But I have written, there's, there's kind of eight things that I've written that mm. I could do differently if I do it next year. Um, and if all of those things worked, then hopefully I'd be a lot more ahead of the cutoffs. Mm. <laughs> Each little incremental thing would help a lot. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we can talk through those points that you've you've written out. Yeah, so um, divided them into sort of topics so to sort yeah, of make them a bit okay. more general for people. So it's not just like me and this is how my race went. Mm. <laughs> so... So you've written down the sort of first first thing was the taper and, and did you get the the taper right and and we sort of touched on this a little bit on the last um, call that we did in the last podcast and there's always that tendency to try and squeeze in a bit extra yeah. and of course it's far better to be stood on that start line under trained but rested and fresh than to have nailed those last few training sessions but then you end up on the start line just a little bit tired maybe a little bit niggly um and not as not as fresh as you could be yeah so so yeah absolutely it's a question of did you did you try and squeeze too much into the the week before yeah uh, i think i did i did a few little short runs and like more than i would have in a just a normal training week in the way the training was going this time um and then I also recce the course the previous day. So I did six and a half miles because I really wanted to look at Sally's bottom, the infamous okay. steps just before the end. It's like two miles from the end. And I yeah. wanted to sort of know where to go because I thought if I am going to get through the checkpoints and be like really at that end cutoff right. of 15 and a half hours, I don't want to be messing around trying to know which way to go. But um, so mentally, that was a really good a good plan because I had that yeah. in my head and I would have known where to go even in the dark. But physically, yeah. that was definitely not a good plan because yeah, yeah. you know I don't know if you've ever stood on the start line of a race and your, your legs have just felt leaden like they should feel pingy shouldn't they they should yeah. feel like ping 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 ready to go yeah honestly I felt just like I was already in the middle of the race when I started so that was not a good move <laughs> yeah I mean in terms of what you should do the day before um, some people perform well on just having complete rest the day before most people will race better having done a little bit the day before yeah um, so i get most of my athletes to do even just 20 minutes just a little shake out and a few strides and that might be enough um but you know doing 10k six miles or something like that beforehand is is probably probably a little bit too much bit much, um, yeah and especially yeah. those those steps like i was unaccustomed mm -hmm. to that kind of thing anyway so yeah that was not a great plan so then Okay, so then you think about, you know, why did you do that? And it was for the mental preparation, the visualisation. Navigation, yeah. Um, but, you know, Google Street View is so good these days because <laughs> so many roads pass. Path, you think, you, you'll probably find that somebody has hiked along there with a 3D camera. Okay. <laughs> and you've got Google Street View or, you know, at least photographs of. Um, so there's so much 
of the race visualization that you can do just sat looking at your computer screen. Okay. So I think it's, it's going through that. It's, you know, you've obviously filmed a, a section of the race, but there's plenty of other people who've done their own films of the race in the past. So it's always worth trawling back through, you know, previous race footage, people's videos, um, so that you can visualize as much of that race route as possible. Um, you know, I've done numerous races overseas, and it's the very first time being on those trails. But it's that continual kind of turn around the corner. Oh yeah, I recognise this now. Oh yeah, I recognise that. Oh yeah, and we've got this turn coming up. Oh yeah, there it is. Lovely, great. Because I've seen it on video so many times from other people's YouTube channels or um, race reports or whatever it is. Yeah. See, I was trying to watch some other YouTube videos, but I would watch the first bit and then I'd be like, oh, that looks all nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I would run out of time. I'd have to go on to yeah. something else. So I never watched the end of anyone's yeah. YouTube film. So that is what I need to do next time. So I'll, up for, you know, for races, I'll make up a, a YouTube playlist of people's videos of, of races and I'll watch those while I'm on the treadmill. So I'm running, a, running along. Yeah. Essentially visualizing running that race. Yeah, that's until, a great until idea. Until you were so ingrained in your mind that you can just do it in your sleep. Yeah, I need to get a treadmill then. That might help with uh, some of the other aspects of why you you didn't yeah. finish as well in terms of the training. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, Me and Steve, I just did a Zwift um, on Thursday because it was horrible yeah. here, and I did a Zwift. Steve set me up with my bike on his Zwift, yeah. um, and it was it was really fun actually. But every time mm. I saw someone running on the Zwift, I felt like I wanted to be running instead. So we mm. were talking about getting a treadmill, and then we could actually talk to each other while we both did Zwift. So that would mm -hmm. be quite good. Yeah, I mean. It, no getting away from the fact that the treadmill can get boring but you know I, i'll connect my treadmill up to zwift but quite often i'm watching something else on on video at the same time um you know netflix or prime or, yeah. or other, other video services are available yeah um so so yeah so i think it's just a question of making sure that you don't try and squeeze too much in and, and having the confidence that it's it's okay to be maybe under trained but rested on the start line versus having squeezed in that that final extra session yeah. Uh, and having the confidence to to look back on your previous training and your previous experience there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I could have just wrecked like the final road junction and then not gone up all the hill yeah. that was way marked because it was all yeah. like way marked with little flags. I could have just gone to that like, junction and mm -hmm. gone, yeah. So you come down off the coast path, you go along this road, you turn left, you turn right. Oh, there's a big hill now. I'll yeah. not do that. Yeah. Exactly. We've got a yeah. live comment from Cotswold Trailrunner, whose film I was just watching just before okay. this broadcast. He's got had a really successful. Um, he did it at the hundred mile race. Congratulations. Very good. Um, and his film has been watched by over ten thousand people. So. It's done really really well um he said for the arc i could he couldn't recce any of the routes so he used youtube videos yeah. and the course breakdown um it's very detailed so he could replicate that elevation and distance in training yes yeah, so yeah yeah that's it and you know you want to look at the race profile so you know as you mentioned i've got chianti coming up um you know, I've looked at every single climb and descent and worked out the length of every climb, the, wow. the gradient of every climb and worked out, you know, Strava segments in my local area, which will replicate those climbs. Yeah. Um, and you just then build that into your training. Such a good way of doing it. Yeah, it is really, really good. Um, yeah. So I, do your homework. I did. Yeah, literally no homework. <laughs> So I was like, yeah. So uh, we'll get on to my lack of training in a minute. But um, we've got um, uh, the next one was uh, gear. Um, mm. So gear, I felt like I took 
um, the right stuff. Uh, we'll come on to some different parts of gear like nutrition and GoPro mm. and stuff um, in a minute. But, um, but poles was an interesting one on the arc because um, they were useful for me. I found them useful, but most people didn't have them. Um, mm. And I feel like it's a, something, if you had a crew, you probably would have gone oh i'll use the poles for this this section but not that section and something mm. like that so you maybe wouldn't have had to carry poles the whole time um, mm. but yeah that's really personal isn't it using p things like poles on ultras and how that um contributes to whether you dnf or not so i think with poles if you're if you're very well practiced you know technique is very good and it is very much that forward drive nordic walking or, or running technique then they can be you know they can improve your efficiency they can reduce the the strain on both the ups and the downs so they can be useful but of course if you're not conditioned to using poles then they will burn more energy and if your coordination and your skill isn't up to scratch then you may end up actually going slightly slower with poles than you would do otherwise yeah um now you you know on a personal level you know you've got a very big background in terms of hiking and walking and, and therefore using poles from that perspective. So, you know, one would hope that your technique is pretty good and you're, you're quite purposeful and, and forward driving with your poles rather than potentially then slowing yourself down. Um, so, it, you know, it is a very personal thing. Um, you know, for a 50, 50 K to 50 mile, um, you know, it's a bit of a kind of really depends on the terrain and yeah. are, are the climbs long enough to be worth getting the poles out? Are you efficient with how quick you can get them out and then put them away again? Uh, can you do that on the move? You know, can you be running at the same pace while you get your poles out and then put them away again? Or are you needing to stop or to walk to do that? And of course, every time you have to stop to get your poles out or put them away, and, or if you have to walk to get your poles out and put them away again, that's just slowing you down. So it's one of those where if you're going to use them, you've got to practice a lot in training and make sure that you are efficient with the both using the poles, but also getting them out and put them away again. Yeah, definitely. I Once I got them out, I didn't put them away. Um, I can't be bothered to yeah. laugh around doing that. So I just sort of hold them in one hand like a jab yeah. if I'm um, yeah. not needing them. Um, quite a few times because it was so rocky, especially that section mm -hmm. of Pendine to St. Ives there, I was holding them in both in one hand um, and then using my other hand to sort of scramble around the rocks. So I can see why people weren't using poles. And the paths were really narrow in a lot of places. So it was, you know, difficult to like place the poles. But I did yeah. find them really useful hopping over the bogs and things like that. So... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether I would ditch them next time. <laughs> They're like mm. a bit of a crutch for me. Um, uh, mm. Up all those hills, they did definitely help. Um, mm. Jade says, Jade um, did the race. Um, she said she used poles later on in the race. She kept them tucked away mm. in a race belt. Um, and Cotswold Trailrunner says uh, he carried poles as he hadn't wrecked the route. Um, mm. But because of the terrain, he didn't use them till the final 20 miles um, mm. when he was fatigued and the route was more runnable. So yeah. I suppose if you had a crew, then you could get them to give you the poles at a certain place like maybe at St Ives or something like that um, Christian did the race as well he said I found the poles really useful for the uphill sections but on the flat yeah. he probably wasn't that efficient with them um, yeah that's usually the case yeah yeah so I've got some videos on um, how to run with poles and like how to select the right length and stuff so I'll 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 
maybe point to them up here or actually I'll link them in the film description below. That's probably the best way. So if you're, yeah. um, if you're wanting to know, um, someone called Dean wants to know the best way to train with poles, um, that'll be in that video there for you, Dean. Um, so yeah, so that was a bit of gear that was different. Um, so that's like... Yeah, and on thing. the poles front, um, you know, I've, I've got a, a range of um, videos which I'll be releasing as well, so we can maybe link into that. Yeah. Um, but there are, I mean, I, I don't do them, but there are, there are people who run courses um, on how to run the poles. Um, Charlie Sponson, a um, good friend of mine um, up in the Lake District, uh, another another Scarborough athlete. Um, <laughs> he, he runs, you know, courses, weekend courses on how to run with poles. So, you know, if you really are very new to this and you are picking a, you know, a mountain race and you're thinking, right, I really do need to get good at running with poles, it might be worth actually, you know, spending a day with a coach uh, and really, you know, accelerating your learning process on, on how to use them. Yeah, definitely. Because I think some people can be all fingers and thumbs with them, can't they? Like, and trip over them and trip other people yeah. over with them. So, yeah, some people yeah. do need to. It's not intuitive for some people. Some people mm -hmm. are just like, dum, 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 what's there to learn? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, so that's gear. So, we've done tapering, um, we've done gear. Um, then I thought maybe we should discuss like a third aspect of nutrition and hydration because yeah. um, that must be like a massive big thing for why a lot yeah. of people DNF. So, it is yeah. the biggest reason why people DNF ultra marathons is GI upset, gastrointestinal upset. So, essentially, they get nutrition wrong. Um, you know, either, you know, try and eat too much and make themselves sick or don't take on enough and run out of energy. Um, you know, again, hydration issues, whether they're drinking too much, not enough. Um, getting your, if you are using salts, getting your salts wrong. So, yeah, nutrition and, and hydration are the biggest reason why people end up DNFing races. So it's the biggest reason people list. So the way to overcome that is you've got to, test your nutrition you've got to train your nutrition in training so that you know exactly what's going to work on race day and you've also got plan b and plan c for in case something starts to go wrong on race day and you know how to act on it uh, you commented on the fact that you you drank a, a whole bunch of coke um, at one of the aid stations and then yeah. felt a bit rough after that. <laughs> yeah, so you know, yeah, was and it, I never have coke in coke? training. Well, yeah, yeah, it was kind no. of flat. It wasn't like really fizzy. It was just in my soft bottle, so I probably mm. had half a soft bottle, like gulped it down. Yeah. Then I had tummy ache for the entire yeah. rest of the race, and I think yeah. it's probably because there's caffeine in coke, isn't there? So it makes everything want to digest. So I had to go to the loo for a little while at St Ives, yeah. and I still wasn't right and it was really yeah. hurting through the dunes and I, I had to slow to a walk so yeah, yeah maybe I shouldn't accept coke. so that's it so you know did you have too much sugar in your stomach um, at that moment in time and therefore your body was trying to dilute that shunting fluids into your stomach and then that bloats uh, or into your intestines and then that then bloats and that's where a lot of the issues come from so if you're drinking a whole bunch of coke on top of other nutrition then that can sometimes push you sort of over over the edge yeah um, definitely did for me yeah so again if you're not used to taking coke in training then is it the right thing to do in racing yeah. um i mean i'll be honest i i never use coke in training but i know that i can cope with it on race day um you know towards the end of a race when you're just needing that little bit extra caffeine hit um, i mean uh, as people see i'm always sat here with my coffee you know caffeine <laughs> I, you know, yeah whereas i don't ever drink any caffeine 
at all yeah. like so coke really affects me maybe yeah. i should train with some flat coke like maybe i should take you know a half a flask of coke with me and just yeah, see what yeah, happens yeah because it'd be useful that's it's it. always on offer isn't it so it would be useful to train myself to be able to accept coke <laughs> that's it and you can train your stomach to be able to cope with more carbs and um than than maybe usual so it is something you just got to work on in training uh, and test on test in training so you know find the products that work for you yeah and then if they're available at the race fantastic if they're not you got to think about are you going to carry your own nutrition um, or look ahead think about what the race is going to have on offer at the aid stations you know if they've got a particular sponsor then you know you might need to then go and buy some of their nutrition in advance and tested in training so you know whether it works for you or not yeah um, so yeah yeah but we've had an interesting question on the live here about the that fueling and training for that fueling to avoid dns in the future um but um how do you train um you know say if you're doing the 100 mile version yep. or a 50 miler and you're only running 30 miles maximum in training how do you know how you're going to be in that last 20 miles is it just sort of like experience of races then after after that mm -hmm. sort of thing so some of it's experience for sure um and then it's about having as i mentioned the sort of plan b and plan c so we often talk about having like a sort of bullseye so in the center of that bullseye you've got you know a couple of products that you know are your kind of go-to race nutrition that will work for you and then the, the next ring of that bullseye are the kind of similar products that you know work for you but they're just not maybe your 100% favorite product um, but you're quite happy to use if need be and then maybe the sort of less um, it, you know if you if you're going very much gels and very processed stuff in the center of that bullseye then maybe the slightly less processed um, the, the next ring and then you've got your outer ring of that bullseye which is again similar products but they're not your usual go-to but they are your your backups so for me, you know, the centre of that bullseye would be, um, you know, I, I go for pretty simple, easily digestible. So I'll have my uh, precision hydration gels and I'll have my supernatural for my sort of real food to get a bit of um, fats and protein in there. Um, but if for some reason my stomach's not wanting those, you know, I know that most other gels will work for me or might be picking up some, you know, some jelly sweets, Haribo, something like that. Um, it might be picking up some, you know, just bits of fruit or a bit of flapjack you can normally get at a, an aid station. And again, if they're not working, then it's, you know, what's the next layer out from there? So it's, it's working out your your plan Bs and your plan Cs so that, yes, if you do get to the, the last end of a race and your stomach's starting to say, mm, don't really want that, what's the plan you know yeah. for a hundred mile race it may well be that you start off with your slightly more complex slightly more real food and then yeah towards the end of the race you're needing to think about some taste fatigue so do you need to switch up your flavors do you need to get some stronger flavors in there um are you going to switch to things which are a lot more simple so are you going to start off with complex stuff and you're going to end up just smashing the gels at the end just to get yourself through to the finish because you don't really want to eat anything anymore um you know those strategies work but it's about testing as much as you can yeah you know in the so in preparation and then in the race as well yeah so, yeah. so if you're training for 100 the chances are in your training block you're probably going to have a 50 miler in there as maybe a, as a training race um, so it's testing that and what works in those last few, um, you know, the last couple of hours of a 50 miler 
that's going to give you a good indication. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So test it in training and testing in racing and then just trying stuff yes. on your on your race and um and how like you talking about training the gut to deal with that effort level yeah. and digestion at the same time um how do you do that is it just a question of just fueling your long runs every time one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm just as you would in a race. That's how you train it, I'm, I'm assuming. So you, you gradually called titrate so you gradually increase the number of maybe carbohydrates per hour that you're taking on so it might be you start off on those long runs and you aim to take on 50 grams of carbs fine um and maybe drinking 500 mils of fluid an hour okay fine and then the next time you go out for those long run, that long run you try and take 60 and then 70, and then 80, 90, 100, 110, 120, whatever it might be. Um, you know, you might be able to get up to 120 grams an hour. And you've got to think about also doing this at your race intensity. So it's all very well taking large amounts of carbohydrate on board at a very low intensity in your long run. And then you go and try and race at a much higher intensity or very hot conditions, things like that. And you find actually you can't take on that number of carbohydrates. So what you do is you, you find the limit where your, your stomach starts to go, no, I don't want that anymore. And then you bring it back down a level and you find that sweet spot where you can, you know, smash as many carbs as possible, um, but not cause that upset. Yeah. So it is, it's about just being very systematic with that training program in the same way that you gradually increase your time or your mileage you gradually increase the number of carbohydrates you're taking on per hour and you test and test and test. Yeah, so training in the same way that you would do the physical training. Mm. Um, which, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which brings us on to point number four, which is physical mm-hmm. training. So looking back on physical training, is that that's a that's a good thing to do if you've done if you've DNF'd, would yeah. you say? Absolutely. You know, did you do enough? Um, I think about, you know, my most painful DNF, which was um, ultra-trawl Monterosa, um, DNF at mile 86. And, yeah, you know, looking back on it, I underestimated the climbs. You know, I, I thought I was doing enough in terms of my hills and the, the mileage. But, yeah, I just underestimated the, the technicality uh, of the, the terrain in a few places, um, certainly the, the altitude. 
um, but also just the duration of those climbs. So it, it was a case of, yeah, I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. Um, again, you know, my nutrition strategy was based on a faster time than I was actually able to do, mm-hmm. which meant that my resupplies at each aid station were running out. So I was underfueling because it was taking me longer to, to get between particular aid stations. Um, and then also I hadn't slept for three nights before the race, which didn't help either. No, I was a sort of catalogue of errors when it came to travel um, to get out there. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, so, yeah, you look back and you reflect and you think, right, you know, what training did I do? And did it meet the demands and the requirements of that event? Yeah, um, I don't think mine did. I, d- I didn't really, I thought a January race would be like brilliant. That will motivate me to train for the whole of December. But in reality, I didn't realise that I would have this like massive training slump in December. It just seemed to be too hard to do anything proper. And that combined with eating this giant cake that my friend made me. I'm just going to put a picture up on the screen for people watching the YouTube now. It's basically, it's it looks like it's it's bigger than Finley's head, this cake. So it's probably about the size of, like, a bit near to my size of head. And then it's a, it's a Christmas pudding. It looks like a Christmas pudding, but it's actually a massive chocolate cake with five layers of chocolate ganache inside it and a white chocolate on the top and icing berry things on the top and holly. Um, and my friend Katie made me this cake um, over Christmas and of course we couldn't eat it in one sitting. So I had probably a, ki- a piece or two of that cake every day. Then Auntie Helen came round. Did you not share with, it out? Well, Steve couldn't eat. No, Steve could eat it, but it was my cake. So mainly I ate oh. it. And Steve was trying to lose weight, so he wasn't eating the cake. And then Auntie Helen kept coming round with Christmas cakes for uh, Steve because she was testing out gluten-free baking. So she came around with about three massive fruit cakes as well, which I was devouring. So I was having like two pieces of cake a day for about a month. <laughs> so so I've put, on four yeah. I've put on four kilograms. I'm now the heaviest I've been apart from pregnant with Finley. I'm nearly 69 kilograms at the moment. And my usual weight is like 64, 65. Like when I get to 65, I'm like, oh, I'm getting a bit fat. I need to rein in the cake now. But I just didn't weigh myself for ages. And so now I'm, I'm carrying an extra four kilograms over Christmas. Um, I don't know when it started. It might have started earlier than that. But yeah, it's it's very distressing. And also I'm in my 40s now. So obviously it takes, you know, you put on weight like that, don't you, in your 40s and you can't get it off very quickly. Um, so yeah, massive training slump in December combined with eating lots of cake equals very bad fitness and not fit enough for the arc. No way. Like I just wasn't doing the intense sessions that you'd need to go that fast. And you yeah. know what the ones you were telling me to do, which was like, you know, like two minutes times five <laughs> up a big hill yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> and that's it. I think you need to reflect on, you know, when, you know, when you pick these races, the dates of these races, is that going to fit with life? Yes, I've got this race coming up in March. Uh, it is towards the sort of end of March. You know, historically, I've tried to in big races, end of end of Feb or sort of very first beginning of March. And it's always been a, a real battle over the winter months to, to get that training in. Um, I usually suffer quite badly with sort of asthma over the winter. Um, apologies if my sort of I'm, I'm quite conscious I keep sort of trying to clear my throat at the moment little mini coughs that's the sort of one of the symptoms so apologies if that is coming through on the on the podcast um, so yeah you know I know that trying to do a, a winter race you know people keep asking me oh why are you not doing the the spine race in the winter it's like well you know me trying to prepare for a January race it's 
it's asking for trouble. You know, it's asking yeah. to be ill yeah. just before the race. Um, so, so yeah, this one in March is probably a bit earlier than I'd, I'd really like to do now. But yeah, yeah, it's just the way the sort of the calendars worked out. Um, so yeah, so it is about reflecting on that yourself. You know, is you know, with everything else you're going on with, you know, young family and everything else is training through December, you know, how realistic is that? And are you better to pick, you know, summer and, and autumn races as your kind of key events and then pick some more, you know, low key stuff to be keeping yourself focused over the winter months. You know, yeah. that might be something to reflect on. The trouble um, is I do want to complete it. And I think mm. the best way to do that would be to do it next year whilst it's still fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if I leave it five years, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, it's this again and do the same mistakes again. Um, yeah. But then, you know, you're not going to be as complacent. You're going to go into this going, right, oh, I need yeah. <laughs> to get this training done because yeah. if I don't, it's going to hurt again and it's going to be expensive. And, you know, I think as, as this sport has grown exponentially over the last couple of years, you know, we are seeing a lot of people who are signing up to these races and they're just not prepared for them. And they're paying a lot of money. And to not finish, having paid a lot of money for your race entries and travel and accommodation and all the rest of it, you know, it's you've got to wake up and realise you've got to put some hard work in and, um, and get that training in. And you've got to then, I think, have a sort of an honest conversation with yourself regarding have I got the time to train for this you know what is my goal what do I need to do to achieve that goal and have I got the resources to do it and if the answer to that is I don't have the resources you need to adjust your goal and pick something different yeah. you know is 50 miles too much is 50k a more achievable you know it's a challenge but is, is that a more achievable distance to be targeting um this is not necessarily pointed to you, but it's just reflecting on, you know, anybody that's looking at these events is when you sign up for these, you've got to then think about, you know, what's the needs analysis for that that race and have you got the capacity to, to meet those needs? Yeah, yeah, I don't know because next year it might be exactly the same. But if I do all these other things that I've listed, maybe mm -hmm. that'll just give me the edge just to get through Godevery and then I'll just mm -hmm. try and go from there. If I yeah. do all the things on my list, then I might not need to be that much lighter or that mm -hmm. much bitter because I might just scrape round. <laughs> Like, yeah, because yeah. I definitely um, efficiency is a good one to look at as well. I think we've is this number yeah. five, maybe <laughs> efficiency number five. Um, I stayed too long at St. Ives. It was only I stayed there for 25 minutes, which is quite a long time. Just probably um, 20 minutes too long. Yes. It, or 23 yeah. minutes too long. Yeah. Well, I was. Yeah. What was I? 20 minutes after the cutoff at um, Godfrey. So, oh, yeah, God. if I'd have just gone in and out. But I needed the loo as well. Um, and. I had to just sit on the loo for a while and then I checked my phone and one of my friends sent a scan picture so I had to reply congratulations to that <laughs> so you know there was a lot of things that I did which was a really stupid idea yeah not needed in the race yeah no, so she could have waited about, a few hours for a you know, if you, yeah so you know one of my athletes you know she's you know a lot older you know 70s and you know she is fighting the cutoffs for mm -hmm. the races that she does so, you know, we've worked really hard on being super efficient. You know, there is just not a single second wasted um, once that gun goes. Mm -hmm. You know, aid stations have to be Formula One pit crew. Just, you know, as you're approaching the aid stations, your water bottles are already out of your pack. The tops are already screwed off. And you come into that aid station, 
quickly fill them up, re-screw the bottle tops, and you walk out of there and you start then reloading your pack whilst you're walking out. Um, you know, if you're picking up food, you grab the food, you walk out of the aid station, then you start eating it as you're walking up the trail. Because then you can get five, ten minutes up the trail and then start running rather than being sat down at the aid station. You know, as soon as you sit down, you're going to start seizing up. Yeah. So, you know, don't sit down. Just yeah. keep pushing, keep pushing. It's that relentless forward progress. Yeah. I mean, I you'll see in my film, I get into the aid station. I'm like, uh, uh, what do I need? Uh, yes. I think I'll have a cup of tea. Gave some of my mug, gave some of my water bottles, yes. looked at the food, thought, oh, I've got loads of food in my bag. I probably should eat that. Got all the food yes. out. And yeah, I just, I had a lot of food going on and, um, and it was all in the wrong places. So I couldn't really get to it. And I, I do feel like on a race like the Ark, if you have a crew, that could really, really help in terms of you're not carrying as much food um, and potentially not as much water as well. Because I only used 500 ml of water until I got to Senan, which is about sort of, yep. I don't know, an hour and a half into the race. So, because mm -hmm. I'd necked a big cup of tea at the That's Minac. <laughs> when you're looking at the, the kits, you know, they'll often say you need to have the capacity to carry 500 bill one liter two liter three liter whatever it might be but that's you need the capacity to carry yeah and you think about you know the spine race to take that as an example you know you need to have the capacity to carry three liters of water but there's so much water out on the course you only ever need to have 500 mils full at any one time you just keep refilling it you don't need to carry three kilograms of kit you just carry 500 grams, your 500 mil bowl. Um, so, yeah, again, it's, you know, thinking about, you know, the race I did um, the other weekend there. You know, you had to be able to carry one litre. I only ever had 500 mils filled at any one time as I was leaving an aid station. Then I'd drink that, then refill the next one. You know, the other bottle was essentially empty. Um, well, I started with one bottle full, drank that, got to the next aid station. I had my energy powder in that bottle ready, but empty. So then just filled with water, you know. So anyway, um, the point being, um, you know, you don't need to carry as much as you think. And again, when it comes to food, is how much do you need to get you between one aid station and the next? So if you're arriving at an aid station and you've still got a whole bunch of food in your pack, assuming that's not the emergency rations that you might need to carry, um, then you've been carrying too much food yeah. or, or you haven't eaten enough. You know, that's the other question is, have you eaten what you should have done? Yeah, well, on the arc, there's only the one checkpoint that you can yes. rely on at St. Ives, and that's 28 miles into the race. So I, di I just didn't know how much the arc angels would have. But, I mean, if everybody went out with no food and used the arc angels, yes. then there wouldn't be any food. So you've kind of got to sort of take enough for yourself. And yeah. then, I don't know, just have the odd Jaffa cake from an archangel, which was what I did. But I think yeah. I could have taken a bit less food, yes. um, definitely. Um, that would have, and if I had a crew, then I could have taken much less food yes. confidently. Um, yes. And I would, I know now about the the water situation, so I would, you know, maybe even save a, carrying a kilogram of all that food that I was carrying around and all that water. Um, yeah, so I could definitely do with the crew. I could possibly get round if I had a crew. Um, and yes, and now that I've been to the dunes, <laughs> then I could get through them. Um, but the, the, so I think that's five covered. 
Um, but there is also one, like personally for me, like don't make a film. Like I know the reason I was there was because I make films of these things. But for something with such tight cutoffs, I can't make a film as well because not only do you have to, you know, focus on making the film, which is quite, it's an effort and it does slow you down. It's also about 600 grams of stuff to carry with the spare batteries and everything. So I don't, yeah, just carrying all that stuff. So next time, um, one of my patrons, Sean O'Keefe, he says he'll crew me and he'll film me. So, yeah, so there we go. I'll do that next time. Yeah. And then you can still get the film out, but without you having to do so much of the work. Yeah, exactly. It will be weird. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that, was there anything... Anything else that we need to cover in the DNFs? I feel like we have five points now, but always room for another one. Yeah, it's, I think it's just it's reflecting back on you know what happened. So you, you know, it might be worth actually kind of writing this down. You know, write down yeah. you know what happened in the race, and and why did you end up with that DNF, and and then sort of think about well, how did that make you feel? You know, how, how do you feel about the DNF? Um, and really try and spend that time, you know, evaluating what happened, why it happened, and then, you know, coming up with a, you know, a plan from that. So, you know, once you then analyse that, um, you can then come up with a, with an action plan. How are you then going to make sure that you deal with each of those points um, that that happened in the race that led to that that DNF? And then once you've got that action plan, then you, that then turns into what your training needs to look like for the next race so that you address all of those different points. So it's just making sure that you learn, you know, you know, if you do have a DNF, this is anybody and everybody, um, you know, if you do have a DNF, it's, it's why did it happen? And, you know, it's thinking about controlling the controllables. Sometimes a DNF will happen and it's completely outside of your control. Fine. You know, is it, you know, the weather suddenly comes in and the race gets canceled. You know, that's that's a different situation. You can't control that. Um, you know, do you have a, you know, I don't know, maybe it's you have a really bad fall um, and, and sprain your ankle or something. You know, that's kind of borderline controllable. You know, should it have been that you've, you should have been doing all your balance and strength exercises and training, or is it just a freak accident that happened? And if it's a freak accident that's outside of your control, you know, it's outside of your control. But if it's something that you could have controlled or you should have controlled, then it's making sure you learn from that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, I have written down eight things here, so I okay. need to go and look at them. Um, yeah. Jade has just said, because so she did the race as well. She's one of my patrons. She said, having watched your film, you definitely could have made it. Don't beat yourself up. The start, the checkpoint and the mapping through the dunes were where you lost valuable time. So not even making the film then. <laughs> and she says, not your fitness or the cake. <laughs> oh, bless her. That's so nice. <laughs> so cake is fuel. Cake is good. Yeah. No, don't say that because <laughs> I'll just eat more of it. No, having one bit a day. That's why we do ultra runs and not kind of 100 metre track races <laughs> or yeah. 1500 metre track races. Yeah. Uh, I always take the mickey out of my, my colleagues and athletes who are more track runners. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. you've, got, you've got it wrong. You don't stop for tea and cake in the middle of your races. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and your races don't take all day. <laughs> yeah. <Good job. laughs> oh. Well, um, if that's okay with the DNF side of things, we've just got two patron questions from Sharon uh -huh. and Severine. And I know uh, that Sev uh, Sharon's one's going to be quite short, but I think she is listening live. So this will be really 
really helpful for her to hear, just hear from a professional like yourself, Tim. So she's looking for some advice. Um, she's been to the GP and waiting for stress test results. Mm. Um, bloods are looking normal, but she's having some problems with her HR spiking. Mm. So running comfortably with like a HR of 167, which does sound quite high for like a comfortable run. Um, and then all of a sudden it will go above 200. Um, mm. It's done this for about a year now, intermittent, usually when she's a couple of hours in. Um, she used to be able to walk and then start again and it would be fine. But now walking isn't even bringing it down. So, mm. um, so yes, uh, like the first thing I thought was, oh, is the watch right? Um, but she says she seems to think that she can also feel it within her. So, yeah, we just wanted a professional's opinion on this. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything like that, you you need to see a, a sports cardiologist. Um, and yeah, it's looking at getting a stress test done. It's probably about wearing a 24, 48 hour tape. So actually measure, measuring your heart rate continually and just looking for anything there. Um, it may well be that you need um, ECG or even um, an MRI scan, uh, you know, looking for, for anything else that's, that's potentially going on there. So, you know, when it comes to the heart, you, you've you got to take it seriously. Um I mean, you're right that, you know, sometimes we can get these um, errors that come on with, you know, the poor connection with you know, your heart rate strap or your, um, you know, if you're using just wrist based um, heart rate sensor, just the optical sensor on your watch, then the quality of that data is pretty poor. So sometimes you can get um, dodgy readings there. But if it's something like that where, you know, your, your trace is pretty steady, pretty steady, and then you can feel something's going wrong. You can see, you know, things are um, shooting sky high. You, you've got to work out why. Um, and you, you can't mess around with that one. So, yeah, yeah. see the see the cardiologist and, and get that seen too. Yeah, um, get that's a good test there, Sharon. Yeah. yeah, well, I hope that's helpful for you to know, Sharon. Um, and, yeah, good luck with that one because it does sound mm -hmm. scary if it's not the watch going wrong. Um, I would definitely investigate that if, <laughs> if you're not feeling too bad on, on these runs because 200 is very high. Um, and uh, and Severine has a question. She says she's still getting these leg cramps and finding it hard to run, like mainly long runs. She says she's sleeping well, eating well, taking electrolytes, warming up. She's having some blood tests done for vitamin and minerals. They've come back all good. Um, a friend is saying it could be a lack of testosterone, but um, she thinks it might be an ongoing low level of stress and bereavements that are having a physical impact. Um, mm -hmm. She says she's also heavier than last time she trained for a marathon and she's getting really demoralized. Mm. So, yeah, leg cramps and finding it hard to run. That's really tricky, isn't it? Yeah, so there's lots of different reasons why we'll get exercise-induced cramping. Um, so historically, we used to think about it being a sort of hydration and electrolyte problem, which possibly can be. Uh, more realistically, it's going to be um, urological fatigue. Um, so again, it's just looking back at the training. So, is the is the training actually meeting the the needs in terms of um, are you trying to run too hard, too fast, too long, too many twos, mm. um, and essentially then um, running out of gas, and that's where the cramping starts coming in. So just reflecting back on on the previous training, seeing whether there's anything there. Um, you know, again, it can be you know referral so it could be that you know she's getting cramping in her legs because of some nerve irritation uh, and that could be higher up so again it might be worth um, booking in with a, a physio and just seeing if there's any any other reasons why uh, that the nervous system there is, is triggering these cramps um, but yeah again there could be um, you know physical manifestations from you know she has got high levels of stress as well 
Um, so that might be something else that needs investigating. So it could be worth you know, having a conversation with a sports psychologist and coming up with some strategies there. Um, so, yeah. That, that might be something to explore as well. Yeah, definitely. I feel like um, that Severine could really do with a coach. Like, I think this would be a real benefit um, to you, Severine, there. Um, yeah. I, I think... mean, she, you know, if she does want to have a conversation with, you know, sports psychologist. I've got Amy, who works with our athletes. She's our, our sports psychologist. You know, could do a, a one-to-one consultation there and, you know, explore that. Depends on what she needs to work on. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's time to brighten, brighten, widen the search, and um, and talk to some pros. Um, she's actually on the treadmill, <laughs> overheating at the moment, and watching us on the treadmill. That's really great, great to hear, Severine. Um, yeah. So take take Tim's advice there. Book in with a sports psychologist, um, and and get a coach as well, because I feel like a coach can give you this personalised information, um, and really direct your training to the right places. Because she's got two marathons coming up. You know, she's got like that. Yeah. Yes. two-week gap between yeah, that's the right. marathons yeah. so um yeah so that must be a bit stressful as well um so yeah um good luck with that severine and um yeah uh, keep us posted mm. right um i think we need to end now don't we tim because you need to go and look after some children of some sort uh for half well, actually they've gone out now so that, that, yeah oh I they've gone out oh, okay right but i do need i need i do need to do some, <laughs> you need to some get proper work stuff. today yes but... you need to do some proper work as well not yeah. just promote your hpv <laughs> not, not just chatting <laughs> not just chit chatting um yeah. we'll, well we'll we'll just come to your everything that we can get from you in a mo i'm just going to yeah. say thanks to knack sports nutrition for sponsoring the live broadcast and podcast um i'm definitely looking forward to eating more of the delicious bars and waffles um, and especially testing out, I'm going to test out the new energy drink powder on the Coventry mm. Way 40, which is my next event in April. If you want to try some, use the code WildGingerRunning for 15% off at uk.nac.com. You're welcome. Um, so, Tim, you've got some training plans for us, haven't you? I've put a link to them in the film description below. Um, did you mention you've got something new coming, um, like polls stuff? Um, yeah, again, just got a, um, a series of videos that I'll be I'll be working on so awesome. I'll be sort of posting those up again just trying to improve people's skills for for using polls because a lot of people targeting you know longer races in the summer and I've got a, a number of my athletes who have just bought polls for the first time so just trying to improve their skills there so yeah I'll, I'll be posting those up um I'll probably sort of follow on Instagram for any heads up and then any longer videos I'll Try and put onto YouTube. Yeah, uh, I haven't done much of my YouTube for a very long time, but um, <laughs> that's yeah. okay. You're doing this YouTube. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, yeah, just try. Um, and I, I feel like people want some like general training for really hilly races. You know, like have you got some like hilly race training plans on there? Um, have I got them on your page? I'm not sure if I've got them on your page, but I can certainly copy some some over some yeah. um, more kind of mountainous races. Um, yeah. We can do that. We can sort that for you. Yeah, awesome. And if you want any like coaching tips from Tim, and you want to buy any training plans from him to put in the Wild Ginger area, then just write a comment in the film description or the podcast. I don't think you can on podcast. Write a comment in the YouTube show um, <clears throat> comments below, and then I'll message Tim and get him to add them in because you've got loads of training plans on there, haven't you, Tim? They're really, really useful. And if, if you yeah. feel like you can't kind of invest in a coach every month or like you know that kind of level of support, <clears throat> then the, buying a training plan from HP3 Coaching is like the next best thing um so how can we follow you tim and find out more about what you're doing in chianti yeah so um social media wise uh, the the main one i stick for the running is the instagram so tim Pigot hp3 
um, or yes, there's the website as well, which is hp-3.co.uk. Awesome. Well, good luck in the rest of your training. I think Thank we'll you. try to catch up with you maybe when you're tapering before Chianti. Would that be a nice time to catch up with you? Yeah, it probably would be, wouldn't it? Sort of, uh, what's that going to be? Early March-ish? Yeah. Where are we now? Yeah. Mid-March? Yeah, it'll probably be just before I fly out to, to Italy, something like that. Yes, awesome. And you can tell us all about how I need to train for 100k. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> In the summer. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so okay. much, Tim. It's always bodaciously good to chat to you. <laughs> and thanks everyone for watching. Bye, guys. Cheers. Bye bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.